England was pulling tanks out of a museum mm -hmm. to go to war. That's very different than someone showing up in their Maserati tank or whatever, you know, whoever makes the, the fanciest tanks back in the day. Tesla tanks. Tesla, ta yeah, Tesla tanks. <laughs> Is there a charging station around here? <laughs> This podcast contains the arguably witty banter of two friends, Skippy and Doogles, that like to debate about investing. The content is intended to be entertaining and for informational purposes only, not investment advice. You should do your own research and consult a financial professional before using any of the information in this podcast, and especially before investing. It's corn! <laughs> I love corn. I love that song. <laughs> do you know why you love it? No. Because it has the juice. <laughs> it has the juice. <laughs> Have you watched the um, original video? Yeah, oh, I've watched like every. I've watched every clip of that, every making of that. It, okay. It's my favorite. I, I, song. I don't. I don't. I don't mean the music video, like the original, like the interview with the kid. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. Good. I did gotta... like basically the VH1 behind the music of that music video. <laughs> like that's how much I love it. Oh my goodness! How are you doing these days? Great, man. Picking up yeah. some deals on Black Friday, which works. How uh -oh. how does a growth investor like you handle Black Friday? Do you like try I, tip? It's pointless your purchases. No, it's pointless to me. What's the point of all these discounts? Give me more expensive. I want I want like White Monday, where they just put they put it all more expensive. Like everything's fifty percent more expensive than I would get to buying. You know, I had this really stupid thought this week. As a retailer, is basically. 11 months of the year, a total game to try and convince people that your price should be a hundred bucks for the good. <laughs> so you can, but your price in actuality is 50 bucks for the good. And so you play this game for 11 months and then give it away for half price. There's got to be something close to that because some of these retailers pull in like 40% of their sales during this period. So, exactly. I mean, it's, it's so material. And, and here's a game. breakdown from Visual Capitalist by store of the average discounts by retailer. Are you ready for this? Get any it. any guesses for your highest discounting retailer? Because it's insane. Like who the retailer is? Yeah. Bed Bath & Beyond. <laughs> That's a great guess. JCPenney, 59% <laughs> average discount. Macy's. Okay, Macy's hold on. Hold on. Just to be clear. JCPenney is the Bed Bath & Beyond of department stores. <laughs> okay, we'll give it to you. All right, then near and dear to my heart, Kohl's average discount forty nine percent. That that doesn't that's not a positive story for the stock, by the way. Target thirty three percent average discount, Best Buy thirty percent, Amazon twenty nine percent, Walmart twenty six percent, Home Depot twenty one percent, and Costco holding down the fort with an average discount of only seventeen percent. Mm. I guess they're always kind of discounted, aren't they over there? That's that's amazing, amazing, like a third. Off. So you basically, with inflation, go back to 2019 prices. <laughs> yeah, it's a trip back in time. Here's okay. Here's what's happened to me this week. The little shopping I did, I hit the website, and when they flash the banner up that says 50% off or 70% off or whatever, I go, I don't even want this thing anymore. Like it, it clearly has no value if you're willing to give it to me for 70% off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the human psyche is absolutely amazing. <laughs> It is. Who else has a Black Friday sale? Ah, oh, the Skippy Diggle Show. I'm so glad you asked. As you know, longtime listeners know this well. 
we do premium subscriptions to help support the show so we don't have to do ads we don't have to do anything else and seriously dude because i mentioned it a couple of weeks back one podcast i listened to used to have two ads for their hour-long show now they have eight like what is happening <laughs> to the world of podcasting anyway we're not going to do that to you if you want to support the show uh we love that it helps uh keep things going behind the scenes skippydougals.supercast.com allows two different tiers of premium memberships to support and on that front we're going to do a little taste of what uh some of the premium members get because we're going to talk about some research recommendations for stocks later in the show all right so go check that out we got discounts as he said check it out please support the show appreciate it now send out your garbage you're gonna give me your garbage to start or we're gonna do that later no, we're going to do your thing first. Okay, because this is not garbage. I'm telling you right now, this is not garbage. If you had, if you didn't know, I know you know what stock and what company this is, but if you did not know, and I had, I asked you to guess the size of this company given its growth rates. Yeah. You could never guess. You could never guess. So just this past week, end of close on Tuesday, company came out with its earnings. I'm going to give you some year over year growth rates. Revenue, 206%. Operating income, 1,633%. Net income, 1,259%. Diluted earnings per share, 1,274%. Operating expenses, 16%. Mm -hmm. This company is NVIDIA. It's fascinating. Now, you, you touched on a few months ago on the show, you were talking about how there, there's a lot of inflation in because of the AI chip boom, small number of customers paying a heck of a lot of money. So there's a lot, it's inflated this year, potentially in a way that is not sustainable, most likely in a way that is not sustainable. But when you have a company that had $18 billion in revenue, like billions of dollars in revenue, that company tripling its revenue year over year is like, is kind of wild, not from 18, sorry, tripled to 18. But it just, it's absolutely wild. So I just wanted to shout that out because it's crazy pants. It's uh, defying gravity at this point. It reminds me of something. I, you're going to, I can't wait for you to hear this. You know, my take when like Lance Armstrong came back from cancer and won seven yellow jerseys in the Tour de France. You know, my take when Roger Clemens was running Cy Young's at like 40 years old, I was like, wow, that's amazing. You know, when David Ortiz was hitting home runs, even though he'd been like a below average player. And you know what I take right now when LeBron James is like averaging 30 and eight at 40 years old, doesn't really add up. It doesn't really seem to make sense. Do you know what it is? It's Cone. <laughs> I, I hate to even, I hate to even utter these words. Could there be something nefarious going on here? Uh, I I don't. You mean on the Nvidia front? Yeah, I would. I mean, who knows, right? Time you're will going, tell. You know, I, like, and I'm not even trying to be no, that no. guy, but you're just going on like one in a million chances of like, like you said, companies this no, big yeah. don't grow this red. Like it's, I, and I don't even want to really say that about Nvidia, but like when Enron had their crazy results for three or four years, everyone was like, "This is amazing," like this seems unbelievable. It was. Yeah. I I don't want to make those acquisitions, but it's like literally the numbers. If you only look at the numbers, you're like, it's an outlier upon outlier upon outlier. You, their last quarter and the quarter before that, my hypothesis was like Elon Musk, who 
wanted to start the AI component of X just said, I don't care what the check is. I'm writing that check. You know, yeah. my hypothesis was they had two people come to him and say, I don't care. I'm behind. I'm doing this. It's possible they had four more customers, four more large customers do that in Q3. But these numbers are like nearly unbelievable. They're so great. Yeah. And if, you, if you're going to not saying the video is, I actually hope that they're not trying to cook yeah. the books or anything. If you're going to, though, like this is probably the way to do it because, you know, Jensen, their CEO, Jensen was probably like, well, you just brought me earnings that increased by 200%. People are obviously going to think that's fake and they go look into it. We need earnings to be up by 1,600%. And then no one, no one's going to suspect a thing. There was an interesting piece this week on NVIDIA that they're, they're being sued by this other yes. company. Yes, I'm glad we got uh, to <laughs> And the reason that the, the suit is coming about is because one of their engineers who used to work for the other company was screen sharing and showed the code of the other company he was screen sharing to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he shared his screen that had their code on it. The engineers, it's its very proprietary code about uh, autonomous vehicles. The other engineers saw it and immediately recognized the code. I, that's just bad. They're just bad at cheating at that point. <laughs> no, so uh, I was trying to get a laugh more than anything else, but this what do you do with results that are, like honestly what do you do with results that are this good i have told you you know whatever six months ago i was ranting about how the price of the stock is definitely going down and we talked about the only scenario where the current price was justified and that's like unbelievable growth on top of unbelievable growth which is effectively impossible for a company this size well they just pulled it off for a quarter or two anyway i still there's no way I would ever touch this thing, but I'm just flabbergasted at the results. They almost don't seem believable. What does this do to your PE? If your income, if your net income goes up by over a thousand percent, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's this. This is going to be very hard, if not impossible, to sustain. If they do it, more power to them. Wow, it's super powerful. It's unbelievable. Super unbelievable. I mean, the current stats, and these are probably. These are probably a little stale, but you're at price to sales of 36, price to earnings of 115, price to cash flow of 100, price to book of 43. Like it's still, it's still priced per perfection. And they had one quarter where they pulled off perfection. Two. Um, two. Two. It's amazing. I mean, still, it's only still only two quarters, but that's, it's to be able to do this once is, is quite amazing. To be able to do it twice. I mean, oof. All right. What you got next in the fishbowl? Well, I want to talk uh, research recommendations. We never give stock picks on the show. I'm not personally picking up any of these, but there's uh, three stocks I saw this week that I think are getting kind of juicy, and okay. I might put some price alerts on if they continue to drop. Right, hold on. Let me, let me first, get ready to pull them up. First is not my usual. Um, I'm not garbage diving with this one. Ooh, um, I like this. It, it's actually a quality stock. It's Diageo which is Guinness and all the spirits under the sun, including Casa Amigos and everything else. They, they dominate the world when it comes to alcohol sales. Stock has pulled back recently, and I've watched this stock for a while um, because it's really thought of as like a stock with a moat. Now, in addition to this, I recently read a biography about the Guinness family and all the charitable works they did. And as I was reading that book, Dougal's, I was like, 
you know, they must have an amazing business because they're able to pay their employees 20% more. They're able to fund all these charitable causes. Like it was clear that their profit margin was better than average just based on what they've been able to do for causes they care about over the last several hundred years. So that made me look at the stock again. I'll give you some valuation numbers, but any take on Diageo at a high level? Yeah, it's interesting. I'm just, I'm taking a quick look. I think it, it would, it's not an immediate blah, but growth has slowed a good yep. amount, yep. which I can see is probably what led to the pullback, but its numbers are interesting. Yeah, it's pretty diversified in the space. So it, it's hard to go to the liquor store and not walk out supporting Diageo unless you just buy wine, I think. Historical price to save sales ratios are like six. It's currently closer to four. Historical PE is um, closer to 31. It's currently 17. Price to cash flow is currently 21, uh, which is in the range of its norms. I'd like to pull back a little bit more, but it's clearly debt. It's you, higher you quality. Debt. Than, you look at the debt. I haven't focused on debt too much. I'm pulling that up. Hold on. Yeah, you're right. There's more debt than I typically like. Debt to equity ratio of 2.1, 2.2. Yeah. All right. So that's the first one that I think okay. is worth exploring. Okay. What's next? My boy Dino. When I tell you that there's a ticker sticker, ticker called Dino, do you know what the stock is? Like D-I-N-O? Yeah, D-I-N-O. No. Sinclair. Oh, gosh. The <laughs> gas station with the, the dinosaur. dinosaur. The green dinosaur. Oh, my goodness. All right, so okay. this one's fun because oil prices are already starting to pull back. This is a, a potential, I'd pull the trigger on this one for me, if oil prices kind of continue to crash and you can ride the cycle of commodity prices here. I've done this with a lot of oil and gas stuff in the past. And Dino's just cheap, man. Like it's, that's all there is to it. It's just cheap. You're You're not allowed to make any more money on oil stocks after you blocked me from making money on oil stocks. This is just a general rule of thumb. I will make all the money I want to make. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's a fair, it's a fair take. Welcome. Welcome to the podcast. I will make all the money. I want to make. <laughs> um, so strong financial health, low debt, uh, current ratio above two. current price to cash flow is 3.5. According to the morning start price to book is one. Uh, price to earnings of basically five. Like it's just cheap. Some of this is probably what we talked about with those com commodity stocks we talked about a month ago, where the price of oil has been high. So their their backwards looking earnings are artificially inflated. And then the price of oil is headed down. So the price of the stock is headed down. So these are all probably artificially high right now, but it's just a cheap, solid company that I'd love for the price accrued to go down to 60 bucks a share or whatever, 50 bucks a share. And then <laughs> I'd be buying stuff like this. It's financials look really solid. You're right. Good, good debt ratio. Uh, stocks down. The other thing that's down similar to what we talked about Diageo, but for dip, for the reason you stated though, is growth is down, but that's it's, it rides the commodities wave. So like mm -hmm. it, that's a, it's not an operational thing. <laughs> okay. I mean, I have zero interest, but I could see where you'd put this out as a, rec a research recommendation. Yeah. So the stock currently trades in the 50s back in 2020. It went all the way down to like 19 bucks a share. I would not expect it to get down there again, but I'll be watching it in the 40s and maybe 30s even um, to see if I can pick some up.
Okay, cool, cool. What's what's the last one? Man, this last one just kills me. It's Baba again. Baba is oh, back. Oh my goodness. Ugh. I I can't imagine buying more. I still hold from whatever two years ago when I purchased. And I purchased around these prices. But it's just so cheap, Dougal. It is so it's it's, so it's, cheap. it's so cheap. It's also just so China. Yes, exactly. And oh my god, this is one I alluded to nefarious things happening with Nvidia earlier, and I have no like I'm just making stuff up when I say that. This is one where I never am like I'm pretty dang confident I could trust the financial results. <laughs> it's like it's China, you know, and I'm pretty confident that the CEO is gonna be allowed to make money by the Chinese government, but I'm not 100% confident, but man, is it cheap. <laughs> it is It is really, like, looking at the ratios on that company, it's so, it's dreamy. It is dreamy, and it's in China. So, speaking of dreamy and in China, guess what was up 15% yesterday? No idea. Tall Education Group. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Oh my goodness. That's, that's like it. episode three for those who don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was talking about. So, okay. So Alibaba recently had earnings. I won't do too much of this. They announced dividend. They announced more share buybacks. It continues to be dirt cheap. It's one of the only like technology plays that might service things that aren't friends with America, like allies of non-American companies. There's there's so much interesting about the stock. Again, revenues are down. Profit margins, uh, sorry, revenues aren't growing as quickly. Profit margins are down. There's a whole mess of businesses in here. I don't think, I think where I own this, I can't really add to my position unless it gets in the 60s. But that's the geopolitical risk stuff. Like in terms of a cheap stock, this is still super cheap. 60s is I I I don't want that to happen. I just can't. I think I have to close my brokerage accounts. Because if, if it happens. gets in the 60s, you have it's to just, buy. It. It's no like oh my! Like, I don't want. I have no desire to own this stock. Uh, yeah. Since we're well, we're on this research recommendations thread, something I gave research recommendations to about 15 months ago, I finally picked up. Ooh, what's that? Yeah, PayPal. Oh, you, you didn't I consult know. a friend for this. What are you doing buying PayPal? Come on. I knew, no, don't do it. I knew what you would say if I asked you. <laughs> I knew what you would say. Yeah, I picked up, I picked up a little PayPal. So this is like the the uh teenager that knows they like shouldn't date the bad girl or whatever, but they're not gonna <laughs> go to their parents because they don't even want the right answer. No, they want to go make their own mistakes. Diggles. Exactly. I have to. I have to on this one. It got, it got to a price that I, it, it's not, it's not a, let me be clear. It's not a price that was like what meta was or what Baba is, or you just go like, it's just silly, but it got to a price where I went. Yeah. Like but the margin of safety for me in the, in the world that I see margin of safety, not the way that you would define it from a value investor standpoint was solid enough. They went cool. Well, hold on. It's cheaper than I thought. I'm pulling it up. I think it was in the 80s or 90s last I looked at it, and it's currently trading in the 50s. Yeah, exactly. Ooh, not so bad. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah. Like the downside um, is, it's hard to say limited, but it, the, much more limited than it's been in in quite a while. 
Not so bad at all, actually. So I've been meaning to do a deep dive and we don't have to do this on the show, but how different is PayPal from like a bank? I don't, don't know use that those I words. understand. Don't I you don't dare know use that I fully understand all aspects of the business model in terms of where the revenue comes in and, and where profits available. But is that a deeper dive that we shouldn't do on the show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We should, we should, if you want to do that, maybe we can do that on a uh, premium episode. Okay. Love it. All right. So those are our research recommendations, guys. We say research recommendations very carefully because we have different risk appetites than you. We have, uh, there's, there's a thousand different things about each individual person's recommendation. There's no, none of these things that are going to be a clear fit for you. Um, we like to mention things that we might find juicy so you can do your own research and make your own decision from there. I'm going to talk about risk since we're talking about risk, reach into that fishbowl, talk about risky investments. You mentioned maybe three weeks ago, but recently, but a few weeks ago, you mentioned junk bonds. Yeah. Junk bonds are high risk, high yield bonds. And I tell you what, back in the 1980s, there was this feller named Michael Milken who worked at Drexel, Burnham, Lambert, who loved Hanson Junk Bonds, loved Hanson Junk Bonds. And I'm going to tell a quick story. It's not specifically about Michael Milken, but it is about Drexel and a little bit of the aftermath there. I'm reading this book called The Plunderers. It's by Gretchen Morganson, and it's about private equity. And you can get her view on private equity just by the name of the book. It's not a favorable view on private equity firms. There's this one story in it that grabbed me. It's like, oh my, it's it's not unbelievable isn't quite the right word because this is the kind of thing that happens, but still, wow. Okay, here it is. So there is this company, there was this company called Executive Life Insurance. It was the largest life insurance company in California back then, back in the 80s. And they bought lots and lots and lots of junk bonds from Drexel Burnham to the tune. They were in some very high percentage of the number of junk bonds that Drexel sold. They ended up having billions of dollars in junk bonds on their books. At the end of the 80s, I think we all know what happened with junk bonds. They It was bad. Everything was very, very bad there. So they had all these underwater junk bonds and could not stay as a solvent organization. There was this attorney general that was running in California. And he ran on the platform of, or one of the things he ran on the platform of was, I'm going to make sure this executive life situation turns out okay. I'm going to take care of the policyholders, blah, blah, blah. These finance people are just out to get you, et cetera. So he wins, becomes attorney general of California. What does this man do? What does this man do? I'm going to tell the you. The opposite of what he said because he's a politician. You're supposed to uh, laugh, it's, pretty, it's, pretty, it's pretty accurate. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, that's pretty accurate. So here's what he did. So Drexel Burnham goes under. And one of the people that used to work there, his name was Leon Black. Yep. These Leon are all Black. famous names. Yeah. yeah. So Leon Black, he left. He left. He took some Drexel people with him. And then he eventually started this organization called Apollo, big private equity firm. The first thing that he did in the like the fledgling organization that would become Apollo is he said, Wait, we just sold all these junk bonds to Executive Life Insurance Company. I understand the companies that are beneath those junk bonds. Like, I know which ones are terrible. Yeah. I, yeah. I know which ones are good. 
I'm going to buy back that portfolio. Mm -hmm. So he goes to the politician. I'm skipping a bunch of details here, but he goes to the politician and figures out a way to get like the right people involved, some of which are in France, to to make it look on the up and up to anyone that's like outside in. The politician should be able to see all this, but regardless, ends up buying back the junk bonds. I'm looking at this. The part that like really got me was I said, not not Leon necessarily, but his firm and he understanding the ins and outs sold the junk bonds to executive life insurance company. The life insurance company goes down. He then buys back those same junk bonds. Can, can I just jump in right there? Because that there's a good lesson here. I don't know how this sounds, but I bet I know. I bet I can guess. There's a good lesson here in how you rise from the ashes and truly be a phoenix. Sometimes <laughs> when this happened to me one time with Fannie Mae, right? I was like, I knew it was a good investment. I knew it was effectively government backed. This is back in like 2008, 2009. And I'm buying the thing and it's still cut in half or more. But I'm mm -hmm. still going, I think the hypothesis holds. If you then get a 50% a discount on your margin of safety that you thought you had, and you can either, in this case, buy the whole portfolio back at a discount or add to your position, if you're investment philosophy is still sound like that's how you have a year where you go up hundreds of percents yeah because you buy the junk bonds that you already did all the work on at a 80 percent discount or whatever yeah i imagine you got a huge haircut here very yes very nice and it's the the beauty here for him because it was this was not beautiful at all for the policyholders like he, a bunch of people ended up being screwed over because of this but for Leon Black and Apollo was he knew the value of the, or, you know, knew as close as someone could, the value of the underlying companies and what would happen. The absolute dollar figure, which was measured in billions, yeah, was more important than anything because he was just starting off his company. It's like, yeah. this is the first thing that Apollo did. And then you're set. And well, so then, you know, the, this is a way that people that manage investments kind of hijack their returns that when when they go bankrupt or whatever again dave ramsey is the perfect example <laughs> sorry <laughs> you close the old firm where you lost all that your investors money you start the new firm and if you get a first investment like this you jumpstart your returns that you can uh talk about for the next 30 years because you're like yeah the first two years of the firm we were plus 200 percent well, then you're always going to look good. Your performance is always going to look great because no one else had that jump start that you had. But you effectively had that jump start because you went bust at the last place. Yeah, exactly. And his, so I'm going to say allegedly before all this, although I think it's beyond that at this point, Leon Black's father went to jail in a scandalous way for financial scandal. He's then at Drexel. That happens. He then does this at Apollo. Like you just... There's something in the milk over there in the black household. Anyway, that was the, that was the story that, that caught my eye. And I was just like, that's a wow. Wow. A lot of people end up being screwed over to the point you brought up the joke you brought up earlier, half joke you brought up earlier around like politicians and whatnot. Come on. Like you got to do your job in these situations. It's it's absolutely outrageous. There was actually there was one point in this story, too, where the by, according to the law, because there was an insurance operation and like the financial investment holdings, right? That go hand in hand. They had to, in order to sell the junk bond portfolio, they had to sell the insurance company at the same time. Like they had to go hand in hand. Leon Black 
convince the politician to sell the junk bonds first because he saw that the market was starting to turn. And if anyone caught wind that the bonds are starting to go back up and the politician was like, okay. But I was like, wow. anyway, all right. It got, it got me for uh, the plunders by Gretchen Morganson. Did it change your opinion of the private equity world? No, it stayed just the same. <laughs> started pretty low. Yeah. It started pretty low. And let me, let me just be clear. I do not believe that about every individual that's in private equity or any of that. It's just, it's an industry that by its nature has a high likelihood of destroying long-term value. That's my, that's my opinion. That doesn't yeah, mean all well, deals do. That means it doesn't mean all firms do. It doesn't mean all people do. I'm not saying that, mm -hmm. but no, by its nature. There's some people that do it really well and uh, really honorably, uh, some guys mm -hmm. and girls. I think they, from my experience, are the exception rather than the rule. But also, some of this seems like hocus pocus. I wasn't going to go here, but I was looking at, um, you could almost call it a private equity deal this week. I was looking at potential purchase of a small SaaS startup, right? And this thing's effectively trading at three times cash flow. And so the the purchase packet is like pretty impressive. There's interviews with the founders, all the financials, monthly recurrent revenue, like everything you could ever see. And it's cheap, right? It's three times cash flow. But man, as I went through what it would be like to manage this business on a daily basis and in and manage those employees and everything else i'm going even if my returns on this are 30 percent for the next several years to decade plus do people realize that you can just buy like public equities and make 15 percent a year <laughs> passively <laughs> and not have to like worry about nancy and the hr hassle of this and the coding of that and like i think sometimes that world gets glamorized in a way where it, there's there's great periods of performance and then there's typically a bust but like i don't know that it's worth all the headache to to juice your returns and, and you... most of those people are doing it with crazy amounts of debt too oh yeah that's the whole that's the whole thing yeah. some people just love the game true they just and love I could get that game. i could yeah. get behind that but i don't know that you do it as much for the financial side well no that's not true you can if you're entirely motivated by money. You can make that argument because you can get rich with other people's money. Yeah. Which yep. is the debt component. And then you can defer that risk and go bankrupt and start your next, you know, pull the Leon Black move. That's it's a very viable. Yeah. But it's it's also a lot of work. Like to pull this off was like it's a lot of work. And I'm sure there was a, a haircut to Leon Black's net worth after the Drexel Burnham situation, but I'm sure that haircut probably still left him with like a nice chunk of change where you didn't need to go in and like fool the government into, you could just go and put your money into spy <laughs> and some bonds and you'd probably be fine, you know, over the next period. But to the, to the other point, some people love the game. Yeah. That's gotta be it. All right. Anything else in your fishbowl? Let's, let's tie a little ribbon or a bow, whatever, some some kind of pretty ornamental thing on the OpenAI saga. And then I want to talk about a collab fund piece. All of you have likely now caught up on the OpenAI saga, but 
the ridiculousness of it is just worth recounting here for a sec. When we talked to you all last week, we mentioned that the CTO was now the interim CEO. We, we said, who knows where it's going? Who knows why this is? Skippy himself, Skippy himself said, by the time you hear this, <laughs> everything may have changed. Yeah. It may have resolved itself. Holy matrimony. What happened in that like 48 hour period? So to, to recount the steps here, CTO was interim CEO for a day. Sam Altman was then in talks to return back as CEO of OpenAI. Sam Altman then gets hired by Microsoft. Emmett Schmier, or sorry, Emmett Shear, the former co-founder of Twitch, was named CEO. That also lasted a day. Sam Altman was then renamed CEO. This is all over a five-day period. Wait, my, my boy Emmett, who's not my boy at all, went on the Twitter machine and was like, hey, I'm so honored to take this CEO position. And then like 18 hours later was going, I've demanded that the board tell me why they fired Sam. And if they don't, I'm going to resign. <laughs> why don't you do that before you took the job? Dude? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that signing bonus. Like, that's the only thing I want to know is how much he got paid for like 72 hours worth of work. That's the only thing I want to know. Did he get stock options? Did he get like, I don't know. And I, I'm I'm sure Emmett's a smart dude. And oh, it's done, not really about it, Emmett. It's just the situation no. is hilarious. But but why OpenAI? I don't under I don't know what Emmett's background is such that OpenAI CEO was a thing that made sense. And I just don't know Emmett's full background. But yeah, anyway, five day period. It was wild. Okay, the thing I want to no, talk no, about. No, more. but and appears to have been resolved without taking any of the common sense steps like giving sam a salary giving sam some equity maybe not structuring it in a weird nonprofit way when you're taking billions from microsoft like i thought that was what was going to happen i thought they were kind of going to tear up parts of the governance structure and start from scratch and to my knowledge that hasn't happened which is super bizarre because i think they're bound to have more precarious situations in the near future yeah i agreed with that and how the heck do you get Larry Summers on your board in like a minute? Man, the, here's the the real, this is the first time in a while that I missed, that I was sad I didn't hang out in the Bay Area for the past 20 years, like drinking coffee with people. I could have been on that board. No problem. It was about like <laughs> who you who you know who, and you know, like who you've played tennis with. It was amazing. I don't know how Larry Summers got on the board, but come on. In like a minute. And Brett Taylor. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Okay, I'm going to switch over now to this piece called The Full Reset from the Collab Front, written by Morgan Housel. I'm going to give you a couple brief points and then see if it's something you want to talk about. Did you read this piece? I did. Loved it. It's really yep. good. So the the core of the opening and the context that Morgan provides is about how the German military became as strong as it did in the 1930s. So it gives the brief background where after World War I, as part of the treaty, they said, Germany, you cannot have a military. So sh sh you have to like sell it off, give it away, all this other stuff. Germany later said, but I want a military. So what did Germany have to do? 
in order to have a military, Germany had to build everything back from scratch. And so what this looked like was buying the newest tanks, getting the newest gear, getting the newest guns. So by the when when Germany rebuilt its military and then World War II kicked off, Germany had the most advanced military in the world. Because we was, no, oh, actually, I can't even say we. There was something in this piece where you said the UK, England was pulling tanks out of a museum mm -hmm. to go to war. That's very different than someone showing up in their Maserati tank or whatever, you know, whoever makes the, the fanciest tanks back in the day. Tesla tanks. Tesla, ta <laughs> Tesla tanks. <laughs> Is there a charging station around here? <laughs> uh, so, so they showed up with the, the most advanced military at that point. So then he uses that as context to say having a full reset can be beneficial to the thought process of saying, am I in the place where I'd want to be? Or is this a case where I should think about what do I need at this moment right now? He shows zero-based budgeting as another example where this could be helpful. So that's inside of a company. A lot of times what companies might do when they're planning for the next year is to say the marketing budget was a million dollars last year. Let's up it by 10% because we want to grow by 10%. And so now it's a million, $100,000. Or zero-based budgeting is when you say, your budget's now zero. From scratch, tell me what budget you would need to achieve the goals. And sometimes that can lead to saying, actually, we're going to stop spending money on billboards and we're going to put more money into Facebook. And so that might decrease your budget uh, yeah. by a certain amount. So that's zero-based budgeting. That was one example. The investing side of it, I'll frame up in this one question that was asked in the piece. How many of us, if given a blank slate, would create an identical portfolio to the one we have now? I mean, zero percent of us, but that's not how the world works. Well, one thing, one thing that you kind of you kind of have to do in order to assume this is you have to take out all of the net costs just to start before you even get to the human psychology. You have to take out the fact that there's going to be tax consequences and other transaction costs that are related mm -hmm. to it. But once you get past all that, there's still the human psychology component. No, the reason I push back, I like where Morgan's going with this, but the thing that's most people's mistake is trading too frequently. So I love taking a clean look at your portfolio, but if taking a clean look at your portfolio encourages you to trade more frequently, it's probably costing you performance rather than benefiting you. And now yeah. go ahead, put it on a sticky note and say in 24 months, I'm going to look at my portfolio as if I'm starting from zero. Go do it then. But don't just do it today when you've probably already made 10 other trades this year that you didn't have to make. Yeah, that's true. Was, there's a line in here where he uses something that Warren Buffett has said and plays off of it a little bit, where he says, there's this saying that my favorite holding period is forever. That's something that, that Buffett has said at Berkshire Hathaway. But what if your favorite holding period instead was until the facts change? And that's where I was like, that feels dangerous. The facts are always changing. Yeah. Like if you just say so, the facts. Yeah. Facts are always changing, but the the spirit of it, I do understand. I think it is worth looking back at the portfolio, and I don't know about saying saying um, start from scratch, but every whatever the period is that is longer than a day, a week, a month, and probably longer than a year, unless you you have some structured, like fully structured way that you feel good about from a discipline whether you can follow, it, it's worth looking at and saying. Would I buy this today? Why do I own it? What's my sell point? Like, I think it's worth going through all that every now and again, but every now and again, not just when the facts change. And, and to even add to that, that's, there's 
if you don't have a strong process for the new investment you would buy, you might just be buying some new garbage. You know, like if it's just like whatever, <laughs> whatever stacks your friends talking about, that, that's yeah. not necessarily better. And that's if you sell and buy something new. If you sell and go, I'll figure out what to buy later. What what just happened is you sold an asset that you made a conscious decision to purchase to go to cash. So over the long run, you can underperform. Like it's just really tricky. This is a contradictory nature of investing. Yeah. yeah. A piece worth reading because the thought exercise is interesting. And be careful of how you do or do not decide to follow it. I want to talk a, a little about the uh, military example he gives with Germany. Mm-hmm. This is why we talked about the private equity folks earlier. Another good way to make money is to be in a big corporation with all sorts of red tape and antiquated takes in the museums and know what they need, create a startup to build something that can plug and play for them without all that red tape and legacy slow stuff, use the latest and greatest SaaS products, and then turn around and sell it back to them for millions <laughs> and millions of dollars. Because that is the, it, yeah, it's not a bad move. No, and, and they literally can't, their process and security and streamline stuff can't build nimbly. It can't build from scratch. So yep. just unplug for a little bit, go back and sell it. Tried and true. That will and work you, for you. You're de-risking for them to a certain extent. And you already have the relationships to sell it back. Like yeah. <laughs> works on yeah. so many levels. Yeah. And it's why startups are great because startups start from scratch. And then you go crush the Googles of the world. It just takes a little bit of time. Oh, wow. That's, That's very targeted. <laughs> I was just thinking of an example. IBM. Look at IBM these days. Yeah, that's true. Still around, though, which is impressive because IBM should have been gone 30 years ago. <laughs> that sounded pretty targeted. <laughs> <laughs> we should get our feet out of our mouths here. Yeah, seriously, uh, mine's stuck in. I think that's a wrap for the day. Let's mention let's mention the FINRA proposal. Okay. I don't have many thoughts on it, but so so FINRA, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, has put in a proposal that says that brokers would be able to use predicted returns when marketing their investment products. And where's the good idea in this? Okay, uh, I'm gonna surprise you. It's a stupid idea. But it might be better than the current. So what happens now is, and there's lots of research that shows this, uh, there's all the caveats that say past performance does not predict future performance, right? And yet the only thing they're allowed to show is past performance. So what that does is it takes something like QQQ, which is riskier, and says, look, it it returned 30% for the past couple of years. And people go, oh, I want some of that. So they buy that. And that's the stuff that's in a bubble that's bound to have terrible performance going forward. I don't know all the details of how the regulation for how they'll, they will do the projections. Cause I imagine that's going to be manipulated. And <laughs> the, uh, shockingly, I think here's what might happen. Dougals. I think the ones that give the brokers the highest fees might have the highest projected future performance. Mm. I mean, but if you did well, it right, they, they can afford those high fees 
because of all the good performance they're about to have. That's true. Yeah. So <laughs> if you did it right, you could say that value stocks, emerging market stocks, and others should have higher projected historical performance than the garbage that Dougals buys. And that'd be a win for everybody. <laughs> I mean, what do you think? Yeah. I mean, you know how I feel about that. I think this is so the point you just brought up, I hadn't thought about it in that way. And it does it does make sense. And it feels like there's so much potential danger that could sit in this. And because yeah, the, it will be done poorly. There's no doubt about yeah. it. I mean And brokers brokers have no what's the they're like consultants. And that nothing wrong with consultants, but they're like consultants in that they don't have to live with the consequences of it. It's not like the person that like your financial advisor, right, who might tell you that something might be good to buy. And at least they have to look you in the eye or send you an email that says, oops. <laughs> but like the broker doesn't. They can just give yeah. you the info and then back away like Kool-Aid man. Yeah. So we'll see. We will see. Is that see. a wrap? That's a wrap. It's a wrap. All right, guys. Happy Thanksgiving, even though we're a little bit late. Hope we hope you find some Cyber Monday deals. Our discounts are going skippydougals.supercast.com we'd love it if you'd come become a premium subscriber there you can find all things skippy doogles skippydougals.com and listener mail is skippydougals.gmail or at gmail.com skippydougals at gmail.com it's cool. Peace. <laughs>